0: Wow, wow, wow.
1: What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man MG Marcus Grant, fully vaccinated and uh, happy to be getting outside on occasion. Now it's, uh, it has been certainly very nice. As always, uh, a fun show for you. Producer Justin is uh, by our side, and he is, I'm sure, doing backflips still internally because his Titans landed Julio Jones over the weekend. Uh, I know that he was very excited about that when uh, we were talking in Slack and stuff earlier. Uh, so I'm sure he is still like having his own little uh, emotional party about the whole thing although he did say the dallas mavericks getting bounced in the playoffs sort of brought him back to earth because as a sports fan we're not allowed to have nice things so uh that's sort of how that goes um but, uh, as always, we continue sort of our cavalcade of stars around the fantasy industry, as we do every summer, and uh, excited to talk to a guy that I love chatting with. Uh, we don't get to chat enough, and so I'm happy to have him on. It is from Fantasy Pros, the one and only Mike Taglier, uh, a new resident of the state of Tennessee.
2: Mike, how are things? Oh man, I wish they. I wish I could say they were better. The state's fantastic. The move to here has been great. However, after the show today, I'm not kidding. I'm I'm going to be done with the show, and I'm going to go get a root canal because that's <laughs> that's my life right now as an old man. Uh, no, but in reality, it's kind of like I feel like this is the Jordan flu game. I'm I'm, I'm getting through it. I'm, I'm going to gut through it because I wouldn't miss this show. I wouldn't. I would not oh. miss a chance to talk with you, Marcus.
1: Appreciate that, man. Uh, it was. Is it actual flu or did somebody send you bad pizza? Uh, like the night before. Oh,
2: man. that (laughs) mean, no, this one, it was just a cracked tooth that led to all of a sudden it's like there's a nerve exposed and it's like, hey, you need to get to the dentist like ASAP. So if I'm like grabbing my face during half of this, you know why. <laughs> I, I, I will understand, no problem. <laughs>
1: uh, well, we'll try to make this as painless as possible, at least from from our end of it. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with the, the whole tooth situation. Obviously the big news, as I mentioned, is the Julio Jones trade. It seemed to have been in the works for a while. There was talk that he was going to be traded. It was a question of where and when. Uh, so we found out that it's Tennessee that is going to be where he is playing his football in 2021. When you look at Julio just individually, how much does moving from Atlanta to Tennessee change how you
2: feel about him in draft in terms of draft value? I don't think it really hurts his value as much as people think it's it was going to. You know, when when Arthur Smith went to Atlanta, we had to assume the pass attempts were going to come down. Arthur Smith, over the last two years, his offense has ranked 30th and 31st in pass attempts. So we had to know that they were going to come down from Dirk Cutter, who was continually top four in pass attempts every single year. And then on top of that, you had Kyle Pitts coming in, who was going to remove some of that target ceiling from Julio Jones, as well as Calvin Ridley. Uh, uh, a budding star in his own right. So therefore, it was always going to be Captain Atlanta. So going out to Tennessee, most people are going to say, hey, they don't throw the ball a lot. Well, Arthur Smith is gone, so it's going to be a different offense altogether. And I think that we can go, can we learn something from last year when we were talking about, you know, Keenan Allen, the downgraded quarterback, Stephon Diggs going to Josh Allen. We always looked at that as like, it was almost like, oh, he's going from Cousins, who was highly efficient, to Josh Allen. All of a sudden when you get players of Julio Jones's caliber, you're going to change your offense. You're going to do it. You don't trade for Julio Jones to not throw the ball to Julio Jones, you know. He's a he's a guy that a lot of people out there they say, "Oh, he's always hurt." Well, the guy has played at least 14 games in 6 of the last 7 seasons. Oh, well, He's, he's hurt, but he plays through it. So it really hurts your fantasy team. Well, he's totaled at least 1,394 yards in six of the last seven seasons too. So, I mean, this guy is a different breed. So when people start talking about he's 32 years old, this is a future Hall of Famer we're talking about. There are two wide receivers that I've tracked over the last 13 years who have played deep into their careers like this. And Larry Fitzgerald, Terrell Owens, both of them had top 12 wide receiver finishes after the age of 32. Julio is going to be just fine. If anything, he's going to get more single man coverage with A.J. Brown on the other side of the field.
1: You you hit on two things that I always say about Julio. Is that like, you know, people are like, well, he's always hurt. And I'm like, I don't know. He seems to play a lot. And when he's on the field, um, I mean, what? who doesn't want a guy that's going to get you like 1400 yards every single year, you know, get you 90 to hundred catches. Like why wouldn't you want that? And I know, you know, the other knock has been that, you know, he didn't score a ton of touchdowns. I'm like, okay, well, he doesn't get you 12 touchdowns, but he gets you like eight. That's not bad. (laughs) I I think that's okay. Uh, I also felt like Julio sort of exists within his own time and space. And I felt like wherever he went, um, I, I didn't have any worries about his his draft value or his production, because, as you said, you don't get a guy like Julio Jones and not throw him the football. So I felt like wherever he was going to be traded to, um, I was still going to be drafting him right about the same spot because I felt like his numbers and his his opportunities weren't, weren't going to change a whole lot. So I just uh, I felt like he was the one person in this equation that was going to stay fairly static, yeah. regardless of, of what happened. But. Um, but that does lead to the guys he left behind in Atlanta. Who do you think sees the bigger bump? Is it Calvin Ridley or is it you know Kyle Pitts whose hype train might be about ready to, to drive off the rails at this point?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be Pitts just because Calvin Ridley was always going to get targets. You know, we saw that last year. Even when Julio was on the field, he was getting consistent targets and he was living up to that low-end wide receiver one territory. And then when Julio came, went out of the lineup, you saw a guy that could be the overall wide receiver one in that offense. So uh, Calvin Ridley was always going to be a top eight wide receiver regardless of whether or not Julio was there. So he's going to get a slight bump, of course. Uh, but Kyle Pitts is the one who sees a big bump here because you started to wonder, it's like, OK, he's the third option on this team behind Julio and Ridley. Where is this coming from? Uh, but we have to stop ourselves and say at what point do do you need a breakout from Kyle Pitts to justify his draft ranking? Because in we he was going around tight end seven in early ADP. We've seen that climbing and now all of a sudden you're hearing people say I'd take him over Mark Andrews as the tight end four. The problem with doing that is that you're 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 passing on a player that's already proven it in the NFL. We've seen tight ends before come into the league. O.J. Howard was very highly sought after uh, in the fantasy community. There were bets being made among fantasy analysts in, in terms of how many yards he was going to have his first year. And the smart analysts were taking the under in terms of his yardage. And I'm going to go back to the, do the same thing with Kyle Pitts. I mean, go back to Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis athletically was just as much of a specimen as Kyle Pitts is mm-hmm. and he had a rough start to the beginning of his career he didn't he didn't it was a couple of years into his career where he finally became one of those consistent you know top three tight ends in the league he eventually got there and Kyle Pitts is going to get there he's super talented the opportunities there are, are they going to line him up at wide receiver uh, you know go back to Arthur Smith and the talk about him and what he's done Johnu Smith is very talented he's also a very athletic tight end as well he's kept it 65 targets I, I mean, last year, 65 targets. Anthony Ferkser was still there, getting 50 some targets. So I would not be shocked to see, you know, Kyle Pitts end up in the 90 target range and see Hayden Hurst around 50 or 60 himself. But the loss of Julio, it makes it you can actually drum up a scenario where Kyle Pitts sees 100 targets. And if he does, he's obviously worthy of a top top, top five tight end selection.
1: I, I look. I, I think unless something goes really sideways, I expect Kyle Pitts to have a top eight finish this year. And, and I think that says. It, some of it is about Pitts as as a player. Some of it is just about the state of the tight end position as a whole, and I think that's sort of where you land. But even though you talk about rookie tight ends, and, and you know, we are notorious for saying rookie tight ends, it's hard for them to make an impact, right? And I go back to the Evan Ingram season when he was a rookie, which, by the way, continues to be the best season he's ever put together yeah. in fantasy football. He had 64 catches. It's not a bad number. it's not it's not a special number either. I, and I think I think you know, when you talk about people moving pitts ahead of Mark Andrews, i I am definitely on the pump the brake side on that because mm-hmm. I would still go, you know, you've got your top three, you've got Andrews, you've got Hawkinson. I still think there are some guys in there, whether it's, you know, you believe in a Noah fant or somebody like that. I think there's still a handful of guys that I'm willing to take ahead of Kyle Pitts. Um, but I, I do think he's going to be a tight end one. I, I think I think next year, if 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 you come to me the same time next year and you say, "Yep, I'm putting I'm putting Kyle Pitts ahead of Mark Andrews," I, I feel like there will be an argument at the end of the season for mm-hmm. that. But, but right yeah. now in in June of 2021, um, I'm not I'm not ready for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'm
2: with you, and I I want to warn people it's just Matt Ryan this is a this is the thing so as soon as the julio trade happened um, obviously i have friends back home in chicago that were texting me out in tennessee because you know i brought julio here let's just say that (laughs) right obviously (laughs) Um, he followed me here uh but no in reality it's just i said and they said well he's going to be a downgrade in fantasy because ryan Tannehill's not as good as matt ryan and this is a popular opinion i didn't realize how popular it was among the public was just that ryan Tannehill sucked and he's been he's been lucky the last couple years whereas like matt ryan he's had julio jones his entire career like matt ryan has made made a living because of Julio Jones. And you've seen in terms of his yards per attempt and everything dip down when Julio's out of the lineup, Julio Jones makes a quarterback better. And then you, you look at Ryan Tannehill. I mean, Tannehill's the one in this equation that nobody's really talking about where mm-hmm. he's been one of the best quarterbacks in football since he took that starting job for Tennessee. Now was Arthur Smith to blame for a lot of that? Well, sure, an offensive play caller is going to matter, but at the same time, you need someone to deliver, and Marcus Mariota couldn't do it. Right. So, you know, Ryan Tannehill's the the unsung hero in Tennessee. Like he's so he's been so damn good. I think I think part of it is, and I, I can't remember who I was talking
1: to about this recently, but I do think Ryan Tannehill still has that stink of his Miami days yep. on him. You know, like for so many years he was. He was at best a mediocre quarterback in in Miami, and I think it's hard for us to kind of shake that off. But he has been so good. I mean, it's been you know he took over midway through that the year a couple years ago from Mariota. Then last year, <laughs> like at some point, maybe he just is has progressed. I mean, it's it's not the first time we've seen it, right? I mean, I think of a late career Rich Gannon who became such a better quarterback with the Raiders. Um, it's not often, but it happens, and, and maybe Tannehill is the next guy that that is going to happen to. Um, so then, all right, I'm mean, going to put Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley. What, what order are you ranking them in?
2: I'll go I'll go Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones um, at this point, but they're all my, they're all in my top 12, actually.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still think they are. Uh, it's funny because I, I had a couple of weeks ago before any of this happened, um, I had A.J. Brown as one of those candidates uh, who could finish as the wide receiver yep. one. I don't think that happens now just because Julio is there, but I don't think – Um, I mean, I think worst case scenario, he's a high end wide receiver, too. But I still think he's a a wide receiver one probably by the end of the year uh, Mm -hmm. just because of that. So but so the other part of this, though, is you mentioned they're not going to get Julio Jones and not throw him the football. Ryan Tannehill has shown that he can be effective as a passer. Uh, We know A.J. Brown is there and what he can do. Um. I feel like you know, something's got to give, and at some point, should we start to be worried about Derrick Henry, especially uh, where you have to get him in drafts? Like, can he sustain that if they're not going to be this run-heavy squad the way they have been the last few years?
2: There's a couple of points to this one. One, it's never a bad thing to be attached to an offense that's going to score more points as a running back, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you are the clear cut goal line back. Like when they get in the goal line, they're not going to throw fades to Julio Jones. They're not throwing, they're they're giving the ball to Derrick Henry. And it's going to work because, again, defenses are going to be forced to remain honest. I was looking at that once this trade took place and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with Derrick Henry afterwards. And then you look and you realize he saw 28% 28 of the time he saw stacked boxes in 2020, 36% of the time in 2019. He's been fantastic in both of those. Years With Julio Jones and AJ Brown out there, there is no way that defenses can afford to sit there and load the box and leave those men one-on-one on the perimeter because they can both beat you all over the field. Like That's what makes Julio special is that he's not just 6'3", 220, 230 pounds. He can beat you down the field. Like, and he could still do it at age 32. AJ Brown can beat you all over the field, too. These two, like, AJ Brown could be the new Julio Jones in terms of, like, this generation's Julio. AJ Brown is the closest thing I'd resemble to that in terms of the freak athleticism with the size speed combo, winning all over the field. So when you have those guys, the play action sets up so well. But Derrick Henry, He's going to have less carries. I'm going to. I'm just going to say that now. He's going to huh. have less carries this year. That was always going to happen when Arthur Smith left anyways. Uh, but on t- but he is going to have, I, I do believe, more scoring opportunities. It is possible that he sees more targets because as much as he's not like a threat in the passing game, they need to get the ball in his hands and screens just to give him an open field to work with. Send the boys down the field and let him work with the underneath defenders. And uh, he can make that work. So we could see that. So I. I just think the efficiency has a chance to go up for Derrick Henry to make up for that lost volume. So he's still steadily in the top five running backs. Uh, If you want to take him three, four, or five, that's up for debate, but he's still there. I mean,
1: I I think it's hard to pass. If If I'm sitting there at five, And he's on the board it is really hard to pass on him I do you know I I totally get everything you're saying and I think the hope for me is that what he loses in carries he makes up for in targets which could actually increase his ceiling if that's the case I mean you know going back to the whole adage of how a target is so much more valuable than a carry so maybe that helps um, because so far I mean he really has been non-existent it's weird though because we've seen in the past Mike that he will get a a screen and you get him out in space especially with a couple of lead blockers in front of him. I mean, that literally is like watching a tank roll down the road. And I don't know why. I don't know why the Titans didn't incorporate it more into the offense. So maybe we'll see it. Uh, in yeah. which case, uh, that's great news for Derrick Henry and anybody yeah. who drafts him. So. All right. What I've also been enjoying doing the last few weeks is sort of getting everybody on that I enjoy talking to is sort of talking kind of general draft strategy and roster building. And you at Fantasy Pros recently wrote some kind of best ball, a few best ball pieces about you know guys to avoid maybe uh, late round guys to uh, avoid you know, basically at their ADP. Um, When you are looking at a best ball draft versus just a redraft league, is there a, do you take a different strategy? Do you, do you look at something differently when you're, when you're walking into those drafts?
2: Yeah, I do a little bit uh, because the best ball, I don't, I'm never the type to want to rely on injuries in order to win something, because I think that comes down to more luck. And so you're talking about the zero running back strategy and things like that, how people utilize them. I don't. Uh, The NFL is moving towards more three and four wide receiver sets, which means there's more wide receivers than ever who are fantasy viable. And it's also why we're not seeing a whole bunch of wide receivers hit that 150 target mark. We used to see wide receivers get close to 200 targets. That doesn't happen anymore because they're flooding the field with three and four wide receiver sets. So what I want to do in best ball is I want to get those workhorse running backs, those guys that i know are going to be in the lineup every single week that you don't have to worry about touchdowns they're going to get the touches that's all you really want and then in the later rounds you could just stockpile wide receivers because they're going to basically complement each other you're going to there's going to be ups and downs because again if you're waiting at wide receiver you're not going to get consistent target getters but once you get outside like the top I don't know 15 wide receivers the targets start to get a little bit more volatile so again if you're not taking those receivers in the first three rounds You're kind of stuck in that middling territory where it's like you're probably looking between five and seven targets per game. But again, wide receivers, they can make it on one play. Running backs are not guaranteed to do that, especially if you're waiting later. So I definitely go a lot more running back heavy in best ball formats and wide receivers more just stack wide receivers. I might, I'm going to have, I'm definitely going to have more wide receivers on my bench uh, in that league than I would in, say, a redraft format.
1: I will say that, you know, the way I've been approaching a lot of these drafts has been like, like I said, I feel like I have to get at least one workhorse running back somewhere in the first couple of rounds those middle rounds i've been very heavy on wide receivers i'm in kind of a a a slow draft now where i think after the first two rounds i think i'm with the keenan allen michael thomas cooper cup and i'm like I feel okay with that. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, <clears throat> those are three target heavy guys mm-hmm. um, that that could really be productive. And then, you know, at some point you you kind of go back to those running backs. I would say when you're looking at kind of later round running backs, I don't know about you. I tend to go I tend to go with the target heavy sort of pass catching running backs because if I feel like if I'm waiting on a running back and I'm trying to get one in the later round, if he's not catching the ball, you talk about not being able to get it all in one play. I feel like that's a hard way to live with a guy who might get maybe 10 carries and hoping that maybe he scores a touchdown. I feel like right. if, I, if I'm targeting the Tariq Cohens of the world, there's at least a little bit more upside there.
2: They provide a floor, and and that's, that's what I honestly think one of the biggest mistakes that people make in best ball formats is that they they feel like they need to hit a home run with every single pick. You don't. You, you, you don't. You know, sometimes your running back is going to miss a week because he had a hamstring or a high ankle sprain, whatever. You're going to need guys like Tariq Cohen, guys like J.D. McKissick, guys like Naheem Hines that can kind of fill in that role and give you a floor because most best ball formats – PPR. So again, they're not going to hit a home run. They're not going to win you the best ball league. However, they are going to be someone that c- you can get consistent production out of. Even if it's, you know, 10 PPR points per game, it's just something to give your, your roster a floor. It's kind of like stocks in a way where it's like you think about <laughs> it and like you can't have a portfolio full of penny stocks and expect to make money. You're not going to. It's just you have to have a balanced roster. So understanding as you're navigating through the draft, how much risk you have, how much stability you have. Because like guys like Jarvis Landry, Debo Samuel, they're not sexy, but that's fu- it's. They're fine because again, people are looking at home runs and like, oh, it's like Cooper Cup. He's not sexy. He's going to fill a role on your team. He's not going to be the reason you lost your best ball format. I can tell you that. So it's just that's I think the biggest mistake that people make in best ball formats.
1: Uh, you know, one of the things I you wrote about the slot receivers, and I, I have sort of been kind of looking at slot guys the last few years and trying to you know predict on a week to week basis, you know, based on matchups and that sort of thing. Um, kind of a weird philosophical question if if we weren't doling out points for receptions right whether it's full point half point would we care nearly as much
2: about slot guys uh in fantasy football i mean we would yes and no Uh, i think it's more about coaching and how how i I, the most creative offensive coordinators guys like andy Reid, like sean payton they understand the benefit of moving wide receivers into the slot you know a lot of the top tier cornerbacks like a jalen ramsey they don't travel into into the into the slot, what happens is they have their two cornerbacks. They'll they'll travel on the perimeter. They'll shadow there. But you go into the slot, and all of a sudden you're matched up with either a, a safety, a linebacker, or a backup cornerback, a nickel corner. And the nickel corners, those are they're the number three on the depth chart for a reason. You know they're not the best in the team. So when you move them in there, you're going to get more production per play. So. You know, I I do this article and it says how much are slot targets actually worth, and it goes through and highlights it's it's about seven percent more production per target is what you get out of wide receivers, and um, that's on average. And some people would say, well, they don't score touchdowns. It just comes down to the targets. Uh, if you're getting targets in the slot, they're actually worth more. You on average, wide receivers score more touchdowns per target in the slot than they do on the perimeter, but you just see more on the perimeter. Cause that's typically where the big wide receivers play. But as we get further and further into it and we see, you know, base three wide receiver sets, but based some teams are going four wide 20% of the time, like the bills, uh, the Cardinals, those are two teams that do it heavily. Then all of a sudden it's like slot targets can become a much bigger thing for these guys. So you just want to see creative play callers. Um, utilize their wide receivers all over the formation, you know, do the Cowboys start moving Amari Cooper into the slot? Because last year they basically just said, CD lamb, you're going to play in the slot. He saw eight perimeter targets all year long. So he didn't have to win on the perimeter. So for CD lamb to play well last year, I expected that he was playing in the slot, like all the time. He should win there. It's when you go to the perimeter is when you're going to see the men separate from like the boys. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, guys like Amari Cooper, they don't rely so much on slot to be in the slot to produce Uh, that article basically highlights what, what wide receivers rely on it more than others. And Ceedee lamb scored twice as many fantasy points per target in the slot than he did on the perimeter. I feel like,
1: you know, and, maybe, and it is changing, right? Because you talk about, you know, Amari Cooper potentially moving into the slot. And we've seen a lot of teams use their bigger receivers and sort of make, you know, I, I, look I, you know, Matt Harmon and I laugh about the fact that Michael Thomas gets so annoyed at being called Slant Boy, right? I mean, that's yeah. part of why you know it's a good nickname because it gets under his skin like that. But it mm-hmm. also is effective. Sean Payton was smart enough to know, hey, look, let's take our big, you know, talented wide receiver. Let's put him in the slot where he can get some really great matchups and let's try to exploit this. As much as possible. So while Michael Thomas himself might be annoyed at it, yeah. um, it's a reason the Saints' offense was successful for so many years. And I think, and this is me sort of you know ranting on my own little personal pet peeves because I'm one of those people who just gets so frustrated at PPR because. You, know, you get smaller slot receivers, right? You get the Jarvis Landrys. You get the Julian Edelman's of the world. You know, mm. like, it was so frustrating to see Julian Edelman have, like, 100 catches for 1,100 yards. And it's like, this is not effective. <laughs> you know? It's not. Um so I think, I think as, I think as we sort of evolve the slot receiver position and you start to see more of these bigger guys, uh, who some of them will have the potential to make, to score touchdowns. I mean, you know, I, I think, I think that maybe will get me off my high horse.
2: <laughs> like CD bit. Lamb. CD Lamb can score double digit touchdowns from the slot for sure. Right.
1: Right. And so I think, I think when that starts to happen, I will, uh, I will get down <laughs> off my high horse, uh, about full point PPR a, a little bit more. Um, the other thing about best ball leagues, and I got sort of off track here, but do you feel like this is at least a partial solution to our fantasy tight end dilemma? I mean, right now it's, it's you either pay up for one of the big three or you're sort of left kind of streaming at the position. I feel like best ball not fully solves the problem, but at least makes us feel better about maybe drafting a later tight end or a couple of tight ends late to, to, to maybe get some regular production from during the season.
2: It just takes away the headache is all it does. Um, (laughs) I mean, seriously, streaming tight ends is not for the faint of heart it's not for those that don't want to pay attention to the waiver wire to matchups but fortunately you know and what we do for a living i go through every matchup in, in the primer and like l- study you know what every team is giving up to each position and and you could find solid streamers but it takes a lot of work and it's not something that you could be like oh he looks good this week you know he's going against this team like it you can't just do it like that that's not how streaming tight ends works but um best ball it's nice because you don't have to just it, it eliminates the headache Mm -hmm. of of figuring out which tight end to start every single week. But I honestly, in best ball, I'm okay. Taking one of the tight ends early. If you want to do that, I would rather do it in a best ball format than I would in a redraft for whatever reason. Uh, Just because again, I could stockpile those wide receivers later and not have to worry about grabbing three or four tight ends. Because again, a lot of those guys are so boomer bust. If you, if you wait outside the top seven, eight tight ends, it's like a, it's, if you were to tell me the guy I have ranked at tight end sixteen is going to finish tight end nine, I, I'd be like, yeah, I can see it, hundred percent. All literally, it might be one touchdown difference in my projections. That's basically how it works. So it's it's frustrating. I mean, you'll see some guys like like John o. Smith last year. He saw sixty five targets. He didn't. He finished with under five hundred yards, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he finishes a top twelve tight end. Like, what is that? No, I mean, look, I, I went back a couple
1: years ago, and Jason Witten was like a top ten tight end. Yep. Basically, all he he basically just caught the ball and fell down. I mean, that yep. was kind of his whole role there. Um, he was effective at it, but but it doesn't give you anything. Uh, yep. And so, uh, I mean, you made the point, and and you know, our pal Michael Leflorio has made the same thing. He's like, there's a handful of tight ends that could be that could finish anywhere from tight end. He's like anywhere from tight end seven to like seventeen or twenty. Um, yep. You know, and he's like, that's that's good and bad. Like if you if you get the projected tight end 17 and he finishes at eight you feel great if you get the guy who's projected at ninth and he finishes you know 19th um you're not all that excited about it um so i don't know basically that's a long way of saying i'm not drafting dan arnold anywhere (laughs) um even with the sam darnold to dan arnold potential connection in carolina i think i'm gonna (laughs) avoid that uh one of the things that surprised me, you wrote about guys to avoid at their current ADP, and the name that jumped out to me the most was Antonio Gibson because he has become everyone's offseason darling. Um, do you still feel that way? Are you still worried about, you know, it's, I know this is best ball versus redraft, but still any worries about, about Gibson?
2: I like Gibson as a player. I do. I had my concerns last year as someone coming, you know, as basically a wide receiver in college, moving into uh, more of the running back role. And Washington had similar concerns. You know, they didn't they didn't put a full workload on his plate. He didn't play a whole bunch of snaps. But at the same time, they were telling us all along, before the season even started, they said, J.D. McKissick's going to be part of this offense. And he was, you know, a guy that was targeted so much. Uh, but now, going forward to this year, I do anticipate some of those Peyton Barber carries to go to Antonio Gibson because they're feeling better about... Re- unleashing him but it's the same concern i had for someone like josh jacobs last year where is he going to be heavily utilized enough in the passing game in order to justify drafting him as a low-end rb1 because it's not going to be one of the highest scoring football teams out there it's still washington they have a great defense they're going to want to play i don't want to say game manager football you don't you don't sign ryan fitzpatrick to do that but i don't think this team is going to be involved in a whole bunch of shootouts their defense is that good so Lower scoring games. So you have to worry about the scoring potential. He scored a touchdown every 15.5 carries last year. That's not happening again. Like it, it's just he he scored much more than he should have, um, which is obviously it's not a bad thing that he did that. But there's always regression when we talk about, you know, projecting for the following year because we're not playing 2020 over again. So you look at J.D. McKissick still on the roster. They I know they Jared Jared Patterson. A running back that reminded me during scouting of a little bit of a Darren Sproles feel to him. Mm. Uh, now he was undrafted, so he's not he's not guaranteed any role. But they've talked about him in camp and how they much how much they they want to get him involved. I think he's the eventual J.D. McKissick replacement. So when you start talking about this, you say, all right, well, what about, what about the targets? Where can we find the targets? All of a sudden, Curtis Samuel's brought in. He's going to get some carries. He's going to get a lot of those shorter intermediate targets. They brought Diami Diami Brown. -hmm. Antonio Gandy, Golden, Kelvin Harmon's gonna be back from injury. Uh, Logan Thomas got a a much bigger role as the season went on. You have Terry McLaurin who needs to be fed. Ryan Fitzpatrick is not a quarterback who traditionally targets his running backs very much. There's a reason we love Ryan Fitzpatrick as fantasy fans is because he props up his wide receivers. He's 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 in straight DGAF mode. He's willing to throw into tight coverage. He's willing to let his wide receivers win. Antonio Gibson might finish the year with fewer than 40, 45 targets, and that is going to be really difficult for him to get into truly elite RB1 territory just because of the nature of the position. You know, you need to be involved in the passing game. So um, as long as J.D. McKissick is there, as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick's healthy and under center, as long as his defense is dominant, I just don't know if there's enough work in the passing game for him. Uh, I believe in the talent, and he obviously has the skills as a receiver, but it's just it's still the same coaching staff and I don't see any reason that they would say, Hey, Jaden McKissick, you did terrible last year. He did, he did a phenomenal job in what they asked him to do. Is it going to even out a little bit more? Probably, but enough to get him into RB one territory. I don't think I could do it.
1: You mentioned Josh Jacobs. So real quick, how do you feel about him? I, I feel like the Raiders keep telling us that they don't want him as a workhorse back. And so I'm, I'm sort of drafting him accordingly. I don't know if you feel the same way.
2: The Raiders, I mean, I was out on Josh Jacobs last year because I don't believe in the coaching staff there in LA or Las Vegas. Um, I, it's basically, when he came out, He should have been a pass catcher. It's like a Joe Mixon problem, right? Where it's like Mm -hmm. you have these coaching staffs like Zach Taylor, who now is talking about using Joe Mixon in this passing down role. It reminds me of Mike Mayock last year talking about Jacobs and how they were going to use him in that role. But yet they continually use guys like Jalen Rashard, Theo Riddick, uh, Devante Booker, uh, DeAndre Washington, using these guys in the passing game over Josh Jacobs, who you drafted in the first round, who was a phenomenal receiver back at Alabama. I was out last year because of that, because I was like, he shouldn't be drafted in the first round if he doesn't have a bigger role in the passing game. But now that he's dropping into that RB20, RB22 territory in ECR, I like him. I'll take him. It kind of reminds me of David Montgomery last year, where it's like, Mm. you know, when Tariq Cohen was healthy, David Montgomery was not getting a whole bunch of work in the passing game. But I felt like he was going to be a very serviceable, low-end RB2. Again, not going to win your fantasy league. He's not going to lose it either. Josh Jacobs is going to be fine as a back end RB two, as long as you temper expectations. Just don't expect the RB one that people were drafting him as last year.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's just that you know, I think people want more from Josh Jacobs, and I get it because I think the skill set is there. But everything the Raiders have done around him suggests that they they don't view him the same way that we do. And I think I just think we just have to sort of make that adjustment. it's sort a of big picture question here. Right. You know, the OTAs are going on. I'm, I'm looking at Twitter and I'm seeing you know, reports from from Green Bay camp about Jordan Love doing this and that. And, uh, you know, the Texans are generally a mess uh, in just general terms. How do you approach, you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson when we have zero clarity about what their future is going to be?
2: Stay far away. Uh, that's the best <laughs> advice I can give. Honestly, quarterback is a replaceable position. We talk about that all the time as analysts. Uh, Rodgers is being overdrafted to begin with. You know, uh, his ECR right now is QB7. Here's a fun fact. Even if Rodgers does play for the Packers, okay, his touchdown rate was 9.1% in 2020. That is ridiculous. If we dialed that back to Aaron Rodgers' career number, which is still elite, by the way, it's 6.3% touchdown rate. Even if we dial it back, again, 9.1% to 63 he would have finished as the QB 10 last year, not the QB two. It just goes to show you like him losing mobility as his career has gone on because Rodgers used to give you that mobility. He'd give like, you know, 300 rushing yards and a handful of rushing touchdowns that has gone away. Rodgers doesn't really run the ball anymore. He's lost that mobility. So therefore he needs to throw touchdowns at an incredibly high rate. But when guys throw them at 9%, they always regress and people are <laughs> drafting him. You know, under they're not drafting him as QB two, but for me, especially when you add in the risk of him not being with that team or retiring or whatever he wants to do. I don't think he should be drafted as a top 10 quarterback right now. And then as for Deshaun Watson, the Texans want him to play for him. He doesn't want to play for the Texans. NFL teams aren't going to want to trade for Deshaun Watson because if it's a PR nightmare. Deshaun Watson wants to be traded, but again, can't happen. The NFL probably going to suspend him once all this is said and done just because, you know, they have the ability to do that. Uh, so all these things are adding up where it's like the, the the Texans basically told you by drafting another quarterback and bringing in all these quarterbacks <laughs> offseason that they're planning on being without Deshaun Watson, but they're not trading him. So Deshaun Watson, as far as I'm concerned, you can't have a quarterback sit around for even if it's six weeks you can't have that on your bench. So therefore, yeah. just avoid him altogether. And again, I'm, I'm avoiding both of them.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think I've drafted them in any spots. And and I'm I've kind of with you on that. But, you know, you, I, it's also a thing that I sort of watch. I sort of pay attention to, where, whether it's a regular draft, a mock draft, what have you. You know, when or if is someone going to take them? And inevitably, at least one of them, Rodgers, you know, I think more than Watson I've seen, has come off the board uh, just because I think we have a little more confidence that Aaron Rodgers is going to play, Uh, however however low that confidence is. I mean, you know, he he very well could end up in Culver City hosting Jeopardy uh, on a daily basis. Who knows? Um, Yeah, it's just I think that that is that is one where I think everybody is sort of dancing around it and nobody really wants to uh, kind of dive in because we just we just have zero answers to that at all. before I let you go, a few rapid fire questions. I always like to do. I know you have moved to a new state, but you are a Chicagoan at heart. So I have to ask you: Jay Cutler or Jim McMahon?
2: It's Cuddy. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a Jay Cutler stan. Um, the guy was just screwed here in Chicago. I mean, like some of his top receivers when he came here, like Earl Bennett, Johnny Knox, Devin Hester, Roy Williams. Those were like his top receivers for the first three years. He's in Chicago, and listen, his list of coordinators here. Dowell Loggins, Adam Gase, Aaron Cromer, Mike Tice, Mike Martz, Ron Turner. It is a disaster. Jake Cutler was doomed from the start.
1: Uh, that's that's going to hold you well in your new home state, too, by the way. <laughs> you know, you can, uh, can lean on the Vandy guy. Um, Chicago-style
2: pizza or Nashville hot chicken? I mean, I could legit eat pizza all day, every day and never get sick of it. So I've, I like been trying. I, I've been going out, like looking on apps and finding out the best pizza in Nashville. And I found a good a few good places that have like New York style pizza. It's mm-hmm. not quite Chicago, but I'll, I'll, I'll take pizza.
1: All right. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to connect you with our producer, Justin, after this, because he is he's a Tennessee guy. So he, he might have some he might have some suggestions for you. Uh, last one. Pick one band to listen to for the rest of your life. Who would it be?
2: Oh man, I hate this question. Um, <laughs> I do because like if, if people that know me, I'm always I'm always listening to music. Like if someone were to offer me like ten million dollars to stop listening to music for the rest of my life, I'd tell them no. Um, I, I love music <laughs> that much. But if I had to pick one, I guess it'd be Corn. Corn uh, is a, a band that you know. Even I, I just don't remember. I remember where I came from and all the years that led up to being like an adult and all mm-hmm. the stuff that like a band helps you get through. Corn. I've been listening to those guys since I was like fourteen. So. Corn is my band.
1: I, I so I the reason I asked that because I saw that you know you were excited. I think you get tickets to see Corn, right? I do. Corn so and Stained. So, yes. So like I was like, all right, you know, I, I was like, should I should I have him like you know compare Corn versus someone else? But I felt like Corn would be the answer. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I was gonna say like a Corn versus like a Limp Biscuit or a Lincoln. Parker oh no, no, like no,
2: those that. Th- no, no, not in the same conversation. No, they, <laughs> they all came up around the same time, but yeah, Corns, right. those are my guys.
1: All right, cool. Um. I always appreciate having you on. I always, uh, I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, I I'm pretty certain that people who listen to this podcast and know where to find you, but for those who are uninitiated, where can they find your stuff?
2: No. Yeah. You can find all my stuff on fantasy dot um, I, my, my article, I ask that you read is that I put my heart and soul into every week. It's a, uh, it's the primer. Uh, it's about 30, 35,000 words a week, a paragraph on every player from every game. Um, just diving in, talking about wide receiver, cornerback, matchups, snap counts, all that fun stuff that we, we tried to talk about on this show really quick. Um, find it there and then on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. Uh,
1: as someone who used to write a column similar to that, uh, I understand the work that goes into it. So I would... I would urge people that the, if you come across it to read it and if you don't know where it is, go seek it out because, uh, one, it's, it's just great stuff. But also, again, the, the level of work it takes to put something like that out week to week, uh, it deserves your eyeballs without a doubt. Mike, as always, appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the tooth.
2: and and hopefully we'll catch up again soon man i've never (laughs) been more excited to go to the dentist i usually hate going but man i cannot wait to sit in that chair and just say do something make it make it go away make it stop oh man that would be fantastic
1: (laughs) as for us that is it we are done we appreciate you hanging out with the nfl fantasy football show you know the drill tell two friends to tell two friends rate review and remember there are three types of people in this world those who can count and those who can't be safe take care of yourselves get vaccinated and we'll see you next week